Hi, welcome to Exploring the Illusion of Free Will. My name is George Ortega. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Laster. Mike, good to see you again. Thanks, George. Good to be back. Okay, we're on episode number 169, Free Will, Debunking Quantum Defenses. And this is August 4th, 2014. Okay, on a Monday. And so, like, what we're going to do is basically a lot of people say that, well, you know, things that happen in at the atomic level, the subatomic level, particle physics and all, they kind of like, they explain reality in a way that, that could allow for free will. We're going to just completely show that no, that, that, that quantum mechanics in no way defends free will. There's, there's no defense for free will there. All right, so like... Um, Ordinarily, like before each show, we get into like why free, what what people mean when we say um, we have a free will, and then why the show is important. We'll we'll do that briefly, and then we'll get right into this. All right. So, Mike, let's just limit it to like one definition. What what do people generally mean when they say they have a free will? They mean that their actions and decisions were caused by something um, that was no, that their actions and decisions were uncaused by anything outside of their control. Right. In other words, like, people are saying, like, that I have a free will because nothing that's not in my control is making me decide or making me do what I do. That's that's generally what people mean when they say they have a free will. That it's all 100% up to them. Exactly. So now, naturally, why, why don't we have a free will? Because um, of causality and um, the hedonic imperative which is causality is cause and effect. Everything, every event that takes place, including every decision that's being made, um, was caused by some previous moment in time. Something happened to make it that way. And the hedonic imperative, which is that um, the pleasure principle, we seek pleasure and avoid pain, whether it's uh, long-term pleasure and, um, or short-term pleasure. Exactly. There's actually there's another way of describing why we wouldn't have free will. In other words, like our unconscious. You know, if we make a decision, we're basing it on concepts, on memories, on principles, and all this stuff is in our unconscious. But by definition, you know, it's unconscious. We're not conscious of it. That's why they call it the unconscious. So, like, if you have the the criteria by which we decide, and also the principles by which we decide, you know, like the factors that go into our decision, we're not really conscious of those as we're deciding that. If all that's happening in our unconscious, free will, another word definition is like we're consciously deciding. No, all of our decisions operate at the level of the unconscious. And not only um, is the unconscious something that's going on behind the scenes, but um, our decisions are being made by our unconscious before our conscious picks up on it. Absolutely. So it's a causal thing, too. Yeah, and, and like what Mike's saying is this has been like empirically verified. There are experiments that demonstrate that like, you know, seven to ten seconds before subjects are aware or conscious of what they decide, they're the, the unconscious has already decided. They can measure this. So it's not, it's not philosophy, it's science. All right, and this is important basically because it's truth. Because, I mean, that's, you know, that's, you know, the entire world is completely deluded about our fundamental nature, about why we do what we do. That's supremely important. Mike, why else is it important? Yeah, the world can use some more truth and uh, compassion. Like, once you believe that people, uh, once you understand that people um, are only doing what they're uh, 
sort of programmed to do through nature and nurturing, um, there's much less of a need to uh, hold on to feelings of anger, resentment, uh, guilt, or regret. Excellent. And it opens up the space for more compassion and forgiveness. Great. All right, so let's get right into this. Like, in terms of, like, um, the, the, the unconscious, I just want to explain, like, with the unconscious explanation, it's a bit um, complex, but we did a lot of episodes explaining it. This is episode 169, so, like, if you go to YouTube, you know, they're all there, and you could just, like, see that in more detail. So let's get right into why quantum mechanics doesn't, defend free will in, in any way. Here's the, the idea, the basic idea was like, before quantum mechanics, everything was Newtonian, classical physics. That means like, it's a clockwork universe, everything has a cause, everything is cause and effect, all right? Actually, that's the way it is now, but what happened was back in 1927, Warner Heisenberg, this physicist introduced what's known as the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle, and basically it says that like, at the quantum level, you can't simultaneously measure the position and momentum of a particle, okay? That's what it says. Um, unfortunately, some, some physicists, because of that, they claimed, well, if you can't simultaneously measure the position and momentum of a particle, that means that that particle is behaving in an uncaused manner. That's absurd. So, 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 Mike, um, can you expand on that? Why the, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle right. in no way defends free will? So, since they uh, couldn't make completely accurate predictions, they probably called it random, right? And that's the confusion um, that a lot of people are having, like feeling that uh, within the randomness, there's somehow room for free will. But, you know, that's a mistake for two reasons. One is that... Um, free is that randomness really can't exist like there are hidden variables that we can't uh, detect using our um, tools right now but also um, and anybody who says there aren't hidden variables like doesn't seem to understand what hidden variables means like we can't detect them right now and also um, if they did behave randomly, if these particles did behave randomly and they're uh, causing our behavior, then that's still uh, causality. Exactly. It's, and there's, and even if there was no cause, um, even if everything was happening completely ran randomly, then okay, where's the free will? Like how how does that leave room for free will? It seems to negate free will just as much as uh, causality does. Exactly. Can you understand what Mike's saying? In other words, like the quantum mechanical defenses of free will attempt to refute causality, attempt to refute cause and effect. They don't succeed in that, but again, even if they were to succeed, that just leaves us with a causality or things not having a cause. If, if, if our decisions don't have a cause, we cannot attribute to them, them to ourselves or to anyone or to anything. I mean, like quantum mechanics, again, like the best it'll give you is indeterminism or a causality or randomness, whatever you want to call it. That, that is not a free will. Um, then there's probabilities. Okay, which, go ahead. Um, it's not randomness, but it's saying, okay, there's a, let's say, one-third probability of some event taking place or 
uh, one-third probability of a particle being in a certain uh, location at a given time. And so if we're ruled by probabilities, uh, physically and psychologically, then that still doesn't leave room for free will. Exactly. Though we don't choose those probabilities. We're not in control of those probabilities. It's exactly. still caused. Exactly. Think uh, about it. If our decisions were probabilistic, that's not free will. We'll probably decide this is against that. That's not free will. Free will is like we absolutely decided because of certain reasons that were completely up to us with no reason. In other words, I just want to get a bit more into like what these probabilities actually mean in quantum mechanics. Again, because you can't simultaneously measure the position and momentum of a particle, you have to actually measure simultaneously the momentum and position of groups of particles, which you can do, you know, in the, in the quantum realm. So what happens is they measure, you know, groups of particles, the position and momentum of groups of particles, and they measure them, them countless times, you know, a lot of times. And that, all those measurements provide the data set for then deriving the probabilities. In other words, based on all this data they have from this these these many many measurements of the groups of particles then they can determine that the probability of one particular single particle within that group being at one point in a certain moment in time and a different mo mo point in a second moment in time would be whatever probability it is all right so in other words like you have to actually first causally you know measure because like the the simultaneous position and momentum measurement of groups of particles is completely causal, okay? It's, it's completely Newtonian. So in other words, like to derive the probabilities requires um, causality. Um, okay, again, like another thing is like, for example, back to the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, this doesn't make sense, but like basically what the Heisenberg uncertainty principle says is that we are uncertain about the simultaneous position and momentum of a particle. That's what it says. But some scientists claim that because we are uncertain of the particle behavior of its position and momentum simultaneously, the particle is behaving in an uncertain manner. You know, that's kind of like saying, if we're ignorant of particle behavior, the, the particle is behaving in an ignorant way. That's absurd. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's really just that uh, the terms probability and randomness are not actual properties of the particles themselves. They're just um, descriptions that represent our own ignorance on the subject. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. All right, again, so like basically the quantum mechanical principles, it was the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics, came out around 1927, 28 or so. Um, that it was basically saying, no, that um, matter at the subatomic level is not deterministic, it is indeterministic. And so then they deal with like prediction. They say you can't predict the, the measurement, you can't predict particle behavior at that level. Actually, you can, and they, they do it very, very precisely. They just rely on probabilities. But anyway, they're, they're claiming that things are indeterministic. I just want to get into this. So like, basically, indeterminism means that you can't predict. In other words, determinism would, would fundamentally refuse free will. Actually, what fundamentally refutes free will is causality, the things that have a cause, right? But the determinism aspect of that is that, like, because things have a cause, then you could theoretically 
determine the outcome. You could predict the outcome of, of particle behavior. So like within determinism, it says you can't predict the, the outcome of particle behavior. And you can't do that in, in, in Newtonian mechanics anyhow, because you have to know everything about everything in the universe to be able to do that. So that's, you know, that's actually in principle impossible. But the idea is um, it's not the predictive aspect of determinism that makes free will impossible. It's the causal aspect. It's that everything has a cause. So like saying that things are indeterministic, fine. We can't predict them, but they're still causal. Right, and um, you don't have to go down into the realm of the subatomic in order to have indeterminacy because um, just look at the weather. Like a lot of the time people are saying, oh, the weather is so unpredictable. It, you know, we can't, we have no idea what's going on, but we don't ascribe free will to it um, because there are just too many variables in the atmosphere to take into account with our modern uh, technology to actually say what's going on. So still, the inde- indeterminacy of whether or not it's going to rain today it doesn't have to do with the clouds in and of themselves being unpredictable. It's about our own ignorance about all the variables going on. Exactly. Again, just because we can't predict certain phenomenon does not mean that that phenomenon is uncaused. And even if it was uncaused, that wouldn't give us free will because if you apply that possibility to our human decisions, an uncaused decision is not caused by a human being or human will or human anything. It's uncaused. It's not caused by anything. All right, another like kind of like a quantum misguided conclusion that people come up with is like, well, you know, like, you know, there's this concept, there's this phenomenon in quantum mechanics known as entanglement. And basically what happens is if you have one particle, and it could be at one side of the universe, and you do something to it, it's kind of like it's paired. There are two particles that are connected in some way. We don't really understand, but they're connected. So like if you do something to one particle, that action will be reflected in the other particle. There's this connection, and it, apparently it happens above, you know, higher than the speed of light. It's very, it's instantaneous. So they claim that um, that this entanglement demonstrates free will, that we could have a free will. It doesn't. All that it, all the, the entanglement, quantum entanglement demonstrates is that you have some phenomenon we don't understand that allows for superliminal communication between particles. It has to be causal. Why? Why? Because it's instantaneous. That doesn't mean it's not causal. And again, if it were uncausal, that wouldn't give you free will either. Yeah, and in a way, it's like you could even argue that it's an even greater obstacle to... Um, free will, since, oh, well, now you're entangled to all these things. <laughs> Excellent. Right? Absolutely. Think about that. In other words, like, if your behavior is due to, like, you know, your part of your mind being entangled to some something that's outside of you, you know, how that's, how's that going to give you free will? Free will is the idea that, like, we're making our decisions free of something that's not in our control. Clearly, this entanglement would not be in our yeah, control. Do you have, would you say you have more free will just the way you are right now or if you're like bound to like some piece of uh, concrete around your leg or something. Exactly. Okay. All right. So here's now, so we've basically described, you know, essentially how quantum mechanics does not allow for free will because again, the best it'll give you is things not 
happening for any cause, things happening indeterministically or probabilistically or acausally, and that doesn't give you free will. So, like, basically, we're just going to go now, we're going to review why actually no action mechanism, neither quantum or, or, or classical, Newtonian, whatever, can allow for free will. So, basically, there's only a, a few possible action mechanisms. An action mechanism is a principle mechanism that describes or explains why something happens. The reality is that everything is causal. So that's causality is an action mechanism. It's a law of cause and effect. It's a principle of causality. So, so Mike, again, explain to, to, to our audience why causality makes free will impossible. So because of cause and effect... Uh, the idea that any of your decisions or actions can be uncaused is just a logical impossibility. Um, it's like dominoes. It's like um, it's like anything around you that you can observe right now that's taking place in time. One thing causes something else to happen, and this takes place in every aspect of um, the physical realm and the mental realm. So... Um, yeah. Exactly. So, like, everything has a cause, right? So, like, your decision, your action has a cause. And there's a cause to that cause. And there's a cause to that cause. And a cause to that cause. And a cause to that cause. And these causes are going back in time, moment by moment. And they keep going back in time before you were born, before the planet was created, you know, ultimately to the Big Bang, who came before, whatever came before. All right, so that's causality. We've just gone through how causality is an action mechanism refutes free will. Now, Mike, explain how, like, trying to refute causality and claiming that things are uncaused doesn't help free will. Again, this is a review, but, you know. Yeah, so that would be essentially the randomness argument by saying, okay, some things are uncaused, they just arise randomly. But then how does that open room for free will? It doesn't make any sense. If you're governed by randomness, then you have no free will whatsoever. Like, even if you're going to make an argument for free will, you should at least make an argument that, uh, okay, it happens within uh, causality, which you can't do. But randomness, it's even, it's even more absurd to try and do that. Absolutely. And, like, claiming that certain things are acausal and that they don't have a cause, as you were saying, it makes it more impossible free will because free will says that we, our will, is causing things. So you try to eliminate causality, there's no way that'll get you free will. Okay, a third action mechanism. Some, some people claim that our decisions are what is known as causa sui. They are the cause of themselves. They are causing themselves. So, Mike, explain how that prospect, that action mechanism, doesn't allow for free will either. Because we can only experience what uh, will in our conscious mind. And we know that um, before our conscious mind picks up on something, our unconscious picks up on it and then uh, gives some sort of rational explanation to our conscious mind. Okay, all right. Another way, another way of describing this, why wouldn't a self-caused decision be attributable to a free will, to our will? Because it's self-caused. It's causing itself. If something is causing itself, it's not being caused by anything else. And actually, as, as like people have understood for, for centuries, there's, there's a term that nothing can be cause of sui. Nothing can actually be the cause of itself, because as Mike was explaining, it had to have been caused by something else. All right, so like, so 
That's a third action mechanism that can no way um, defend free will. A fourth, some people say that, like, well, our decisions arise ex nihilo, another Latin term. They like to throw in the Latin term as if it's going to, like, give them some credence, but ex nihilo simply means out of nothing, something coming out of nothing. Mike explains how, how our decisions, if they came out of nothing, would not be our free freely willed. Well, it's just a... It's just the what uh, you just said before this one, but just in uh, Latin, you know, d- wearing a Latin mask, um, which is just that even if it were uncaused, that still doesn't mean that it's free will, because there's no... Um, it didn't come from the individual. It was just caused spontaneously or randomly, and there's no room for free will in that. Exactly. Ex nihilo. Something from nothing. If our decisions are coming from nothing, our mind is not nothing. Our will is not nothing. It's like nothing is nothing. Can you understand how ex nihilo does not defend free will? Okay, there's another one. Sometimes physicists claim that, well, you want to know something, not everything is physical. Some Our decisions, our thoughts are, are numinous. They're, they're immaterial. They're non-physical. They're, they're they're, they're just not physical. Mike, explain how that doesn't ex- uh, defend free will. Well, the question you'd ask them then is, well, does this non-physical realm happen within time? And if the answer is yes, then um, then you're still following the laws of causality. Even if you say it's not physical, then one thing still causes another. Even if it exists um, outside of what we see and perceive as you know, solid and material. Exactly. Another way to say that, in other words, like, let's say you describe a decision as as non-physical, numinous, you know, non-material. But like, as Mike was saying, that decision has to take place within a certain moment in time. Now, time requires space and motion, because without space and, space and motion, there wouldn't be time. What is space and motion? Space and motion and the matter that comprises it is what the universe consists of. So in other words, anytime you have a decision made within a moment in time, it has to occupy a place in the physical universe. And of course, my explanation gave the person uh, the benefit of the doubt, but of course, all the evidence, you know, shows that everything uh, mental and psychological correlates to some sort of brain state. All right. Excellent. All right. I think we've done a good job of basically refuting the, the various like claims that quantum mechanics in some way gives room or, or, or like explains free will. No, it doesn't. Causality refutes it. A causality causes sweet whatever. I just like back in in a couple of months ago, um, April 2014, I published this book. It's called Free Will: Its Refutation, Societal Cost, and Role in Climate Change Denial. Now, here's the thing: like the reason I mention this is like the, the the book is only 56 pages, but it's a very very scholarly work. It's referenced with uh, 50 citations. It gets into the physical refutation of free will. Basically, what we just talked about now, this book explains in detail. But then, like. We're just going to take the last four minutes to explain why this is important. Mike, can you can you explain to um, to people how how belief in free will is not the only cause of climate change denial, but it, it, it may be a substantial cause. So, uh, what the mechanism of denial is 
is when you suppress certain um, certain truths from yourself because your conscious mind just couldn't uh, handle um, the weight of it um, if it were to fully be uh, internalized and um, climate change for a lot of people with climate change um, one of the reasons they might be denying it is because they wouldn't want to um, understand like they wouldn't want to internalize the guilt over having uh, contributed to such a uh, large you know impending uh, disaster to the Ex planet and to the future of um, civilization. Excellent, excellent. Now I'm, I'm going to go this again from like this is in the book also. For example, Pew Research, this research um, organization uh, conducted a poll earlier this year, 2014. They they determined that 66 percent of Americans are denying that climate change is happening and that it's caused by human beings. Okay, if if we've only got one third of the, our population, you know, buying understanding climate change and this, this threat and all then that doesn't leave much of a consensus for doing anything about it. So in other words, what Mike was explaining is like, if, if everybody, because pretty much almost everybody in the United States believe they have a free will. So when scientists tell them, you, you know, are threatening the fate of civilization, you're threatening future, you're threatening billions of people, you're threatening life on the planet, not, not like all life, because, you know, life... Life can resist a lot of what's going to happen, but you're certainly threatening human civilization with what you're doing, um, an existential threat, threat beyond what everything, anything we've ever experienced. What people hear is like that we of our own free will are doing this, and that means that like, you know, people like to consider themselves good people. They like to consider that their friends are good, that the people they know are good. But if scientists are telling them, are telling them that, that we're doing something so horrible, so evil in a sense, so selfish and, and reckless and irresponsible, people, as Mike was explaining, can't handle that truth. They're saying that such an indictment that they deny they deny it. Denial is like when you when you're when you're accused of something and that accusation is so heinous to, to who you believe you are that you can't accept it. So you so you, you deny whatever it is. So in this book, like I, I devote an entire chapter to research that demonstrates that that's how we act when, when we're like, you know, faced with climate change information, that we deny that it's happening. So the point is like, without the belief in free will, we would have no logical reason to go into denial. In other words, like if the scientists were telling us, listen, you don't have a free will, so don't blame yourself. There's absolutely nothing you could have done to, to pre prevent this. Even now, there's nothing you could do. It's not up to you. But we are like you know threatening the future of the planet then people wouldn't have to go into denial yeah and that uh might take care of the those affected by um you know denial aspect but also um shedding the belief of free will adopting uh a realization of determinism you could actually turn it into a positive thing and say okay well because of cause and effect we need to do so and so lay out a plan for the future and then that gives people the impetus to act on it. Excellent. For the better. All right, we got 10 seconds. So, like, I hope you understand how, like, nothing within quantum mechanics depends free will and how our getting the, this notion of free will right that we don't have it is important to our world in terms of climate change. Thanks for watching. Thanks for watching.